Hey all, it's your co-host Nick here with Psychedelic Passage, and I want to share what our organization does and how we can help you on your psychedelic healing journey. We originally started Psychedelic Passage to give folks access to psychedelic therapy within the comfort of their own home. And in the process, we realized that most people have no idea what they're looking for in a guide and they don't know which providers are qualified. The consequences of sitting with an unqualified provider are dire. There are lots of self-proclaimed facilitators out there who simply don't know what they're doing. And unfortunately, facilitator abuse and ethical violations happen regularly in this space and result in lasting psychological impacts. To solve this, we selectively curated a network of providers all over the U.S. who operate with integrity. This allows us to help you as a client by advocating for you and your care without a conflict of interest, screening facilitators on your behalf to ensure they know what they're doing, and holding facilitators accountable for their actions, so you have peace of mind that the provider you're matched with is in good standing. Instead of searching through hundreds of unvetted online provider profiles, you can simply book a call with us and our concierge team will take into account over 20 different variables to get you matched to a trusted facilitator who can provide treatment in the comfort of your own home. We want to give you the confidence that you're sitting with the right provider for you. No matter where you're at in the psychedelic therapy journey, we're here to help. Simply click the link in the show description below to book a consult and get connected to a trusted provider today. Hi there, this is your host, Nick Levich, and I just want to jump in and give a quick disclaimer before we get into today's episode that we will be covering uh, some sensitive topics around depression that include uh, accounts of suicide or suicidal ideation. And so if this episode is at all triggering for you, just know that we're going to include some helpful resources in the bottom uh, warm lines, as well as uh, resources for anyone that may be going through suicidal ideation, suicidal episode, or significantly struggling with their depression. And so just know that you're not alone and that we do have helpful resources to get you the help that you need. And without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome to the Psychedelic Passage Podcast. My name is Nick Levich. I am your host for the day. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And our topic this week is psychedelics and depression. And this is an important topic because from my perspective, it's one of the main motivating factors for which folks seek out this type of treatment. And with me, I have a very special guest by the name of David Gambard. Uh, He is a client of mine. He's done ceremony with me both solo and in groups. Um, And just for a little bit of context, he's male identifying in his 30s, works in marketing, uh, is also a member of my men's group. And I just want to extend a big thank you and warm welcome to David for joining us today. And just for his willingness to be open, honest, and uh, vulnerability in terms of sharing his story. I know it's not always easy, especially in a public format. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I thought that you would be a wonderful person to kind of highlight the nuances of what it's actually like to work through something like depression uh, with or without psychedelics. But, you know, obviously this is the Psychedelic Passage podcast. And so I think a big part of this is just the role psychedelics play in that. And I really wanted to bring you on to highlight what the actual journey of healing with 
from and with depression with psychedelics looks like because so many people like to point to studies and statistics, which I think are really helpful to have, but they're also very limited in scope. And I think one of the big things that they miss out on is capturing the humanness of the healing journey and just how nuanced it is, how much energy it takes to actually make sustainable progress. And so in terms of structuring our episode today, I really kind of want to take us on an arc from kind of where you started to where you are now. And so perhaps what might be helpful is just, you know, highlighting when you were first diagnosed with depression. Yeah, I'd say I was self-diagnosed at 13 and clinically diagnosed by a psychiatrist in late high school. Gotcha. And so how did that manifest for you? I mean, if you were 13 and able to figure that out, I'm curious kind of how that presented. Yeah, I'm going to dive into a little bit of a story here, but I want to start just by acknowledging that depression is hard to talk about and describe. I feel there's a lot of differences and similarities to, you know, how it felt as early as 13 to how it felt more recently. And I think a lot of that centers around not being enough, being unlovable, being unworthy, you know, at times the world starts to feel like it's closing in on you. And there were times I felt like the world would just be better off without me. Those are peak lows, but I've certainly felt that way. And my earliest memory of depression was coming downstairs to my parents crying, telling them that I had half-heartedly tried to cut my wrists with knives that were in my room and that I didn't feel like I should have knives in my room. And I debated bringing this story up at all, but I feel like on a podcast about depression, being vulnerable and honest is important to ensure that people with those same feelings know that they're not alone and that having thoughts about harming yourself is a symptom of a disease that you can fight against and that it is possible for you to feel better and love yourself, even if you've had those thoughts. Yeah, I just want to thank you for your courage and sharing that. And I, I think this is the humanness that, you know, the Johns Hopkins studies, for instance, just miss out on nebulous is uh, depression is kind of this nebulous buzzword. And I think that that what this actually means and how it shows up in people's lives is really important to highlight as we actually talk about it. So thanks for that. And, and then, so uh, I guess at what point did you get a, a clinician involved or how did that unfold? Yeah. So I have a second anecdote to share here. Uh, and, you know, it starts as an anecdote about a mentor in high school who unexpectedly passed away my senior year a couple weeks before graduation. And there's a couple reasons for sharing this anecdote, but this mentor was one of the first people outside of, I guess, family or friends who really believed in me and told me that he felt that way all the time. And mm. my mentor would just pull me aside randomly in the hallway start praising my character, my development. And outside of my parents, no one had really ever talked to me that way. 
he was also openly gay at a religious school. And as a queer teenager, that really was impactful for me that I felt like this was someone seeing me and telling me that who I was was okay. We did an exercise where different educators uh, from our high school wrote us letters. And I still have the one that he wrote me. And it read, shine boy, for you are already good. Hmm. And that sentiment of being already good was something that I started to accept as true later in life. And it really made a difference about how I felt about myself and how I related to the world around me, that self-acceptance and that self-love. That feeling of self-acceptance and self-love is so far from depression. It feels impossible to get there at times, but I think taking it gradually and just, again, knowing that that is possible, even if you're at the lowest low, that improvement is possible. So I saw a therapist after that occurred in high school. I was I was pretty broken up, and the therapist was incredibly helpful. It was all centered around talk therapy uh, before I started with any medication, but that sort of end of high school chapter was, you know, I guess what I would consider the the second, the second chapter of my depression. Yeah. Once again, just thank you for sharing. And one thing that I feel called to highlight around this is that almost every single client I've worked with personally has an element of self-love and self-acceptance that they're working through, whether or not it manifests as depression. And I think it's, it's, that is core to our humanity is, is working through that piece of like, can we love ourselves? Can we accept ourselves without conditionality? And I, that's what I really love about the note that he left you is like implied in that is like, you're good right now. You're good enough. Now you don't have to do anything to earn it. And I think that sentiment is so important in Western culture where kids are often in pressure cooker environments that are competitive growing up, you're measuring yourself against someone else. And I think there's an element of that that's healthy competition and an element of it that becomes unhealthy. And there's not a lot of recognition or acknowledgement for kids that they are okay the way they are and that they should love themselves the way they are. And Tara Brock, who leads a lot of guided meditations and talks uh, and has written some interesting books talks a lot about changing our mindset to trust that we can continue to grow from a place of self-love as opposed to a place of self-criticism. And I think a lot of people, myself included, fear that if we stop criticizing or critically evaluating ourselves, that we will stop growing and developing. Almost like a passiveness. Right, right. But I think it's counterintuitive that loving yourself and accepting yourself actually does foster more personal development and growth from a positive place than a critical one. I almost think about it like, can you love yourself as you are and still want to improve? Which I think is a perspective that's maybe not talked about a lot. Cause I've actually heard that sentiment from a lot of people. Well, like if I'm content with myself as I am now, will I ever do anything or will I just be a blob? Exactly. Yeah. And I relate to that. Complacency, I think, is 
one of the most toxic personality traits, but it doesn't have to be battled through self-criticism. It can be battled through love and seeing yourself the way you want to in the world, showing up the way you want to in the world. And I think that's motivation enough. Right. So you mentioned talk therapy and you also mentioned medication. I'm curious what else you may have tried prior to psychedelics in terms of working through uh, your depression? Yeah, I've been on two different medications. I haven't taken medications for about a decade, something like that. Earlier in my life, I tried SSRIs, which I'm not a fan of and I think are somewhat problematic. Also tried bupropion, which was a lot more helpful. I think there's a stigma against antidepressants, but I also think that they're important for specific parts of your journey battling depression. Sometimes you really need something to just elevate where your floor is. And I think that's what antidepressants can really do. But at the same time, there is some feeling that they also limit your ceiling, right? And that's something that I experienced. But for getting out of those really tough periods, I do think they can be an important tool but I don't think they should be something that people depend on as a crutch for their entire lives. But in addition to medication, the things that started to work were meditation, breath work, joining the men's group, consistent yoga, consistent exercise, focusing on a better diet, socializing, even when you feel like you don't want to, uh, and integrating some cold showers and cold exposure in general. There's some interesting research about even just holding cold objects and how that kind of calms your central nervous system down. I also tried things that didn't work, <laughs> like alcohol and marijuana and other things that I think are pretty commonly used as crutches or tools for folks that are depressed. Yeah, I think that's... a. Uh helpful to highlight is like you try a lot of these different tools and some work and some don't. And I also think it's deeply personal and objectively turning to drugs and alcohol probably just isn't the long-term solution. So it's a bit of a mix. (laughs) Yeah. Turning to drugs and alcohol is generally not a sustainable solution for anybody. And, you know, I think the other thing to, to point out is talk therapy for me was incredibly helpful I think I've done it in three, three or four kind of major chunks. The most recent of which I thought was interesting, which was earlier in the pandemic. And it was an intensive therapy, I guess is what it was called, but it was just a six week course. And at six weeks, it was done. And the focus was really on assessing what I had worked on and thought about from the week prior and working to give myself more tools to battle the depression on my own. And I think there is a business to being a therapist, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think I've seen with other people in my life that they, you feel like if you start with a therapist and they're helpful, if you move away from that, you could revert right back to where you were. And so while I think therapy is important, I also think there should be a goal to eventually stop, right? And the goal of being in therapy, in my opinion, really should be to give the client the tools that they need to to do this work on their own. Yeah, what comes to mind for me is self-resourcing. 
And I think about that as a facilitator too, is like, my goal is not for you to be reliant on me. It's to equip you with tools and resources so that you can navigate life's ups and downs on your own and not be reliant on medicine either. And we haven't even gotten to the psychedelic medicine side of things yet, but true freedom from my perspective is not being reliant on anything. And I recognize that that's a very lofty goal and that there's going to be these inflection points in our lives where we have to call in support and help. And I don't think there's any shame in that either. Yeah, agreed. And I think that goal of not being reliant on anything is interesting because do you start to put things like meditation or exercise or a good diet into that category, right? Like how flexible can we be as humans if we for example, for me, if I took those things out of my routine, I don't think I'd react very well. And so, <laughs> you know, those are, those are the tools that I know I have at my disposal, but maybe I am relying on them at this point. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess when I say that for me, what, what I was really thinking about was like these like external factors as opposed to like our perhaps in, intrinsic practices. Yeah. Um, but like for me personally, I don't want to have to like journey every single time I have like a hiccup in life or like any single time I'm at a tough juncture, I like have to call my mentor or have to like, there becomes this point where I'm like, can I work through this on my own? Like, do I have the tools that I can do this myself? And I think that was kind of the, the point that I want to make, but I'm gl- glad that you kind of challenged that so we could clarify. What I'm curious about is at what point did you decide to try psychedelics or, or intentional psychedelic use? After I joined men's group and a lot of that started being discussed more frequently, obviously with you starting psychedelic passage, it helped that we had a relationship and we were friends before I joined men's group and developed kind of this separate bond outside of our friendship. And I trusted you, you know, the idea was still scary to me at first I had done psychedelics recreationally, but there was always that part of the journey where I just wanted it to stop, right? You're with your friends and, you know, maybe the night's over and you're trying to fall asleep and your mind is going a million miles an hour and maybe the walls are still moving a little bit and you're over it. You, you wanted to stop. Um, Been there. Yeah, it, it won't. And I think that's more the spiritual side is where, you're facing something that is stirring up thoughts from your subconscious, things that you don't necessarily want to think about. And how do you deal with that? How do you calm yourself down? So because of those recreational experiences, I was hesitant, but the messaging that you shared from Psychedelic Passage and through our men's group encouraged me to to give it a shot. Yeah. And so... Once you finally committed, I'm flattered by the way, but once, once you, once you committed to that journey and that process, I'm curious what your takeaways were, like maybe even starting with prep, but, but obviously the journey itself, but like, it takes a lot of courage to embark on a plunge into the unknown, which is basically what you're talking about and your ego is screaming at you like I don't know if I want to do this This is kind of scary and then you decide to do it and then what it's interesting so these are difficult experiences to put into words but having gone through a few of them 
I think the best way I can describe the arc for me is that for a certain period of the journey, I felt like everything made sense, that I understood my place in the world. I understood my purpose. I understood how I fit with others around me. I sort of almost saw myself healing the world just just by existing, right? This sort of ultra altruistic view of the world that is obviously heavily influenced by the state that your brain is in with the medicine and and pretty unrealistic. Then the arc shifts and it brings your shadow and all of these thoughts that you kind of try and subconsciously hide from yourself right to the forefront. And it's a very stark contrast because for one, I'm not necessarily in this world while journeying, but I am following my own thoughts. And when the arc fades from understanding my place in the world and kind of this beautiful view of life to the dark side uh, of the experience, my mind is kind of constantly trying to get back to that place where I just understood everything and everything made sense and it felt good, but it's impossible. Right. And I think there's a lesson there in and of itself, right? That I think the medicine almost is sort of trying to teach you that neither one of those realities is true. You're not the solution to the world's problems. <laughs> you're not necessarily even the solution to the people who you're close to and their problems. You're not the worst person in the world and all of these dark thoughts that you've had or your subconscious has processed, that's not you either. You're somewhere in the middle and those two realities, those are kind of emotions and they can exist. And coming off of the first experience, for me, there was a certain element of disappointment because I felt like I just didn't remember my purpose and why everything made sense. And I was like, God, I just like, I wish I could have just written that down. Like it all made sense, you know, but all of that's false. It's just kind of this false emotion that you're flooded with at the time. So there was a, a lesson for me after the first journey that it was not a single one and done cure all. And that there was a lot of work that needed to be done after that uh, in order to continue processing that experience and learn from it. And really that perspective that I just shared about the arc of, of journeying and how ceremony felt was not one that I gained until months after the experience and really a subsequent journey. So I, I do think there, especially from the Western point of view, is a common thought that psychedelics can help you identify your place in the world, open doors in your mind that allow you to, you know, see yourself differently, figure everything out. And especially as kind of the like Silicon Valley tech bro has embraced psychedelics and, you know, made microdosing popular and trendy and all that shit. I just don't think that's a healthy viewpoint for it. It can certainly help you understand yourself better, but I don't think you're going to solve everything by doing a single journey, right? And so I think there's a lesson in there just just through going through one journey and seeing that it's not the end-all be-all for you. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's another thing that the studies don't and can't capture or people misinterpret the studies and think, oh, they did it once and they were cured. When in reality, if you dig into the methodology, they're doing multiple ceremonies with or sessions, whatever you want to call it with, you know, up to like 16 weeks of integration with a clinician afterwards. And so this is not by any standard one and done, even in the, you know, more clinical Western approach. And so I'm, I'm glad and grateful that you're vocalizing that because I, I, we stress it and I still think it hasn't sunk in yet because we are conditioned in our culture to think that you can take a pill and feel better. And then they'd kind of put this in the same category. And I don't really know that that's how that works. At least it's not from my perspective. There's one other thing that I think is really important specifically for people who have been suffering from depression that psychedelics allow you to feel, which is that overwhelming sense of everything makes sense. I love myself. I love the world. I love those around me. I'm grateful. Uh, That feeling of gratitude and genuine love is really hard to actually embody and feel when you're depressed. And I do think the medicine is really helpful to allow you to actually embody that feeling and know what it feels like. Because the point of taking that from the journey is to be able to sit with that feeling in meditation. And now for myself, after a couple different journeys and a consistent meditation practice and these other things that we've talked about, you know, I'm able to sit there in a morning meditation and smile and beam positive energy and feel gratitude and love myself. And embodying those feelings is almost impossible when you're just depressed. Like your brain is not letting you feel those things and thinking those things and feeling or embodying those things are not the same. You can sit there and write down on a piece of paper, I love myself, I'm grateful, whatever, it's not the same as the way that your body feels, the genuine smile that comes across your face, the energy that moves through your spine. It's just not the same. And embodying the way that you want to feel is incredibly important to taking those steps to actually loving yourself, accepting yourself, feeling better day by day. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, And I've been there on a personal level where, you know, I had a mentor tell me, oh, well, you just need to love yourself. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I understand what you're saying. I have no idea what that feels like. And the analogy that I always use is like, it's trying to hit an emotional target in a pitch black room. You don't even know where it is. You don't know what it feels like. You're not even sure what you're aiming for. And I think that's one of the beautiful aspect of intentional psychedelic use is they can help guide you to that place. And to me, that's neuroplasticity in practice. Like people use that term. I'm like, okay, you want an example of what this is actually like? It's establishing a new neural pathway for an emotion that you've never honestly felt before. And then because it exists and you now have that target, you can get back to it with things like meditation, breath work, yoga, etc. And that's one of the things that I really admire about you is your commitment to your practice. And that's another thing that I wish I could better convey. And hopefully this episode helps with because we see clients that don't show up to integration sessions or just 
basically give up on any sort of daily practice. And I'm not saying it's easy. Like that is not where I'm coming at this from, but I do think it's important. And it's it, if we don't stick with those, there is a repercussion in my experience. Yeah, I totally agree. The integration aspect of it is the key. It's the most important part of it, in my opinion. And giving yourself the space, if you're going to spend the money, if you're going to take the time and energy, if you're going to take time away from work to work on yourself, to have one of these ceremonies, focusing on the integration uh, is so important. And actually have a ceremony coming up and I'm taking a full week of work off so that I can focus on integration. I can go hike. I can get out in nature. I can give my brain a little bit of room to process what just happened. I remember after a ceremony only having, I think, a day, uh, maybe two days off of work and kind of opening my laptop again and just being like, what is this? Like, I don't care about any of this. Like, your brain is just not ready to jump right back to the real world. And it's important not only to give yourself the time and space, but to be honest with yourself about like, how hard are you trying to implement these practices into your life? And who are you cheating if you don't do them? Like, Ooh, that's a good one. There's, there's a lot of like football coach motivation speak here. You know, if you don't do your push-ups, like who are you cheating, right? But at the end of the day, it is true. Can you look yourself in the mirror and be happy with the way that you spent your free time in the day, the things that you checked off on your personal list that you know are important for you to feel good on a consistent basis. And there are times when your social calendar gets busy and you have a weekend where you don't meditate for a couple of days. That's fine. Like we're all human. But if you're going to, you know, have a weekend like that, make sure you give yourself a little bit of time you know, before you start your work week to just take a breath. Like I think the stillness and the consistency of meditation is so important because we're just wrapped up in this insane world that moves too fast. And there's flashing lights and sounds constantly competing for our attention. Yeah. The integration piece, the consistency with your practices is, is a big takeaway. If you're okay with it, I'd love to share one component from your journey that was so profound to me as a facilitator. Yeah. There was this, this moment where you were kind of in the, the washing machine, as I like to call it, like you're just getting tumbled and thrashed around. And, and it's, it's almost that point of like, you know, maybe some, some ego dissolution involved a loss of sense of self. And I just remember you going for the first time in my life, I want to be back in my body with all my neuroses and all of my quirks and my like my life and my things and everything that you were running from when that got taken away from you and there was nothing left, it was all you wanted. And I thought it was such a beautiful moment for someone whose intention was to work through this depressive state. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. It's hard to feel grateful for what you have when you're depressed. It goes back to a lot of that feeling of like, it's hard to feel an embodied sense of self-love. It's also hard to feel an embodied sense of gratitude for the people around you, the support you have, your community, your life. 
even things like your job that provided income. I mean, it's like really hard to feel genuinely grateful for those things when you're depressed. And I think part of that ego death that you experience is that everything is gone (laughs) and you just wish you could get back to the way things were. You're like, wait, I liked that. Like, and I think that realization is so powerful because I don't know if it's one, again, just like the self-love, the self-acceptance that you're in a state to be able to feel normally when you're just kind of going through life day to day. Um, So I think that's one of the benefits that the medicine can provide. Yeah, beautiful. And anyone that's listened to the show knows that it's not a guarantee and it's also not a necessity. But in this specific case, I thought it was just a very potent uh, experience for you and, and sounds like exactly what you needed at the time. I'm curious um, if there's just any other ways in which you feel like psychedelics helped for, for anyone that's, you know, listening and perhaps in the same boat as you were. There's an element of the journey that is scary. In my opinion, a lot of those thoughts you try and hide from your subconscious, your shadow self, that all gets brought to the forefront. I don't think that there's anything scarier in the world. I really don't. And after facing it a couple times front and center, I have just noticed very gradually that I'm just not scared of as much. Maybe there's a little bit more belief in myself. Maybe it goes back to some of the neuroplasticity that you described, but your brain is going through an interesting experience with fear and you're surviving it and you're coming out the other side feeling better. So I think it's a profound experience and that's actually something I reflected on. My most recent journey was uh, about last year at this time and in prepping for another journey coming up, I was reflecting on how I feel now versus then. And that's one of the biggest things I noticed that again, was really gradual. And I wouldn't have noticed if I didn't stop to reflect on it. But I just don't feel as scared. I go into situations and I feel like I've been through worse. And so I think it breaks down some walls that you put up mentally, you know, is your brain trying to protect you from this fear? It's a great way to feel better about yourself uh, and feel more confident moving forward. Yeah, well said. I kind of want to continue working through our arc here. And so you you touched on this element of kind of comparison from a year ago, but I'm really curious, you know, from the 13-year-old boy to now, like, you know, where are you now compared to when you first became aware of, of your depression and some of these tendencies? Honestly, a lot of the prep for this podcast was hard for me. I haven't mentally gone back to those places in a long time. And it was an eye-opening reflection of how different I feel now versus a teenager or even as recently as four years ago. I feel so differently about myself. I think a lot of the elements that we've discussed of self-acceptance and self-love are a key component of that. I still have negative moments and hard days. And I think that's an important thing for people to hear as well, because I personally don't want the storyline of this to be 
I'm cured and I'm better and depression is over. I don't really know that that's a realistic outcome. I think feeling a lot better is a, a very realistic outcome, but I don't know that completely curing yourself, so to speak, of depression is ever really possible. I think I'm of the opinion that depression has a lot to do with the way that your brain is wired. And that's not necessarily something that you can completely change or control, I guess. And so I think the biggest difference is this ability to have self-compassion for myself when I do experience depressive days or depressive bouts, as opposed to blaming myself for those depressive days or depressive bouts. And that's, again, a really hard place to get to. That took years of, you know, consistent meditation, all the work that we've been discussing so far, because I think you have the anecdote about, you know, the third arrow or something like that, right? Where, or the second arrow, where the pain that you feel is kind of the first arrow. And the second arrow is how you blame yourself for the pain that you feel. That didn't come from me, but I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that's helpful for, for anyone, even if it's, even if it's not depression, right? Like whatever emotion it is that you're going through, you know, meditation really helps separate from that emotion to be able to see it, to, to understand that, you know, we're the awareness behind that emotion. Uh, We can detach from it. And then, to build off of that, to give yourself a little bit of self-compassion that you're going through a difficult time and that it could be hard. I think the most common route and what I used to do is just blame yourself for feeling that way. You know, feel like there was something that I should be feeling. I should be feeling differently. I should be feeling happy. A lot of should. Uh, Tara Brock, who I mentioned earlier, has an interesting framework for this that she calls RAIN, which is recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And if you look her up, I think those practices and those guided meditations are a really helpful framework to try and get to that place of giving yourself some grace as opposed to hating yourself for the way that you feel. And one of the things that I'm hearing in between the words, so to speak, is that those those states are temporary. Like you're, you're not stuck that way. There's this there's this intuitive knowing now that you're going through a bout or an experience or an inflection point or a challenge. But it's there's not something wrong with you, so to speak, and you're not stuck that way. And the irony is that that's what allows it to pass. And it's the same thing when you're actively journeying on a psychedelic is the longer you fixate on it, the more it perpetuates. It's like we have a saying, what you resist persists. And so there's this allowance component that becomes so powerful, whether or not you're under the influence of psychedelic. Yeah, well said. I think you've already touched a little bit on this, but I just want to ask you directly, what advice would you give to others out there who may be listening to this and experiencing depression? I think one is that improvement can feel so gradual that it takes a little bit of reflection and time to even notice how differently you may feel from point A to point B. And that's something that 
if you build in a little bit of time for yourself to reflect and look back, I think can be eye-opening to really note how differently you may be feeling. And the gradual nature of improvement at, at times can almost be deceiving. Like you feel like you're not improving that much because it is gradual or, or day-to-day. Uh, so I think building in some of that reflection time is important. And then on the other side of that, slipping into a depression can be really gradual and you cannot really notice day-to-day how bad you're feeling because it sort of normalizes within yourself. So doing some kind of self-check-in, whether it's to look back on, do I feel better? Or check in with yourself on, how am I really feeling? I think is important because that slide into a sort of gradual, really depressed state can be hard to identify until you're really at a a low low. Uh, And that's something that is good to try and avoid, obviously. And then the other advice is you're not alone. You're not the only person who has felt like this. You are loved. You're worthy of love from yourself and from those around you and that there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Those are important words for anyone to hear, I think, whether or not you're actively experiencing depression. Um, before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you feel called to, to share with anyone out there? You know, I think it's, it's funny, like coming into this, uh, you know, I talked about that it stirred up a, a lot for me and was difficult at times to, to look back on. And there was also an element of even joining this podcast and talking about how I have grown and, and feel better from the really bad depressive states that I've been in that I was nervous that I would like jinx myself. Right. And like uh, fall, yeah. fall back into some bad depressive state. So I, I just think it's important to humanize all of these experiences. Like I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. We're all just trying. So keep going, totally. keep trying. And I think a lot of the tools that we've talked about today can help people kind of take it a day at a time. For sure. Well, I just want to thank you again for your candor, your honesty, your vulnerability. I recognize that, you know, what you're sharing are some of the most intimate parts of your personal experience of life. And I just want to honor and acknowledge that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know that anyone that's listening uh, likely feels the same way. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Grateful to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. That brings us to the end of our episode for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. If you found today's episode helpful or valuable, please do share it with a friend, uh, especially if it's someone who may be struggling and having a tough time out there. If any of you are in need of support resources, please send an email to support at psychedelicpassage.com. We can get you set up with warm lines, therapist directories, whatever kind of support it is that you may need. No cost for that. Just please send us an email and and we'll do the best we can to help you find resources. I think for so many people out there struggling, just knowing that help is available and that you're not alone goes a long way. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you all next week. I am excited to share a new offering that can be found on our website, psychedelicpassage.com, which is our digital store. 
we here at Psychedelic Passage are constantly thinking about ways to enrich the intentional psychedelic process for our community. And now with this digital store, you'll be able to find preparation guides, integration guides, and recorded workshops that are typically only available to our clients. We hope that this is an exciting offering and we look forward to adding more content over time. So check out the link in the episode description below or visit our website, psychedelicpassage.com. And we are very excited to expand our service offerings to the greater community.